Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read podcast with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. Um, I always thought that these fun little letterboard things are fun, but I never something that I would really like purchase for myself. Um, and I am a member of the Owl Crate Club, which means that I get a monthly crate with some fun bookish goodies and some like more generic, like non like super specific fandom, which I like. Um, so this one is a letterboard and, you know, we've I figured I'd do a little I like to read podcast. Um, There's nowhere to really kind of put it right now, so I'm going to keep it on my dresser. But just for now, a little bit of this. Maybe we'll keep it here and see how many minutes it can last before falling off. Um, Also, for the video visual listeners, you may be noting um, that there is a new... What's our new new uh, vision quality, new new cinematography quality, new camera quality? I got a new iPhone. Consumerism. Um, I am very lucky. Um, my dad got it for me. Not gonna lie. Um, my birthday is in a few weeks, so it's kind of an early birthday present. Um, my other phone still worked, but it was definitely like getting to be like two and a half years old. Oh my god, which in phone history is like ancient. Um, no more banging. The water bottle on the table we'll try to keep it on the floor um drop it on the floor um wet hair don't care new phone um yeah so just kind of like time for an upgrade and this camera is freaking dope the battery is dope uh speakers are great i mean everything's great so you know as i use it as my primary my only podcasting camera except for a zoom on the computer excuse me all over the place today manic energy um we're, we got new video quality. Um, what else? Where I bring back the galaxy dress, a fan favorite for those of you who have been here for the first two episodes, I think I wore it um, because I think I recorded both of those in one day. So I just kind of like wore the same thing. It was like, whatever. Um, back in the days when I was on the bed, now we've shifted to fun, right? Uh, <laughs> now we've shifted to um next to the bed in front of the tapestry uh i think that was one minute maybe that it stood um and then what else um right after this i'm super super excited that i'm going to be a guest podcast on girls on film or god a guest on the girls on film podcast girls on film is my friend Addie van pelt's podcast you might remember her um from our american horror story sorority house episode that was like a few months ago at this point, maybe like four months, I don't know, four months, that seems like a lot, November, December, three or four months ago, um, we're going to be talking about the iconic mid-2000 films Sleepover um, and Aquamarine, it's a Sarah Paxton double feature, so I have no idea what we're going to get into and talk about, those films are very near and dear to my heart, I have loved them. Since they came out, I've just, I had them on DVD back when, you know, I had DVDs and a DVD player or even a computer with a DVD, uh, cd player slot and yeah so i will i think that's going to be coming out before i release this episode so i will definitely link that down below i'm speaking for myself in the future but i'm sure it was an amazing fantastic wonderful queer cool time i'm also going to be spotlighting a few books that you will have already heard on the podcast um so be sure to check that out if you're interested in this podcast if you like me if you like addy if you like cool queer film shit if you like mid 2000 stuff or if you just are bored and want something else to listen to Um, So I think that's all of our kind of housekeeping stuff. Um, I do want to do another fun little quiz uh, just to change things up. I don't have anything too groundbreaking or exciting, like, in pop culture-wise, you know, besides, like, a new president. We all know that. Um, 
you know, nothing, nothing else to muse on besides the books I'll get into. And as you can tell, it's going to be a weird one already. Um, so we'll, we'll take a quiz. Um, this is a quiz on BuzzFeed. It is, um, the quiz is called Your Reading Habits Will Reveal Your Exact Age and Book Character That Fits Your Personality. It's totally accurate. Okay, let's see. It's going to take a water break again. Stay hydrated, folks. Um, okay. First question is, what types of books do you like to read? Young adults or middle grade books? Thriller, mystery, or suspense? Romance, baby. Nonfiction or memoir? Poetry or a little of everything? I think y'all already know the answer. There's no question on that one. It's a little bit of everything, which will be evident in what we discuss on this week's episode and pretty much every episode. So what format do you typically use to read? Audiobooks, hardcover book, paperback book, an e-reader on an app on my phone, library books. Again, I think y'all already know the answer. It's an e-reader, but um, primarily because I also, you know, I typically get most of those books on my e-reader from the library. So I guess you could throw that in there. And I do uh, every so often throw in an actual physical, you know, hardcover paperback book, but we're going to go with an e-reader. What genre best describes your personality? Romance, fantasy, classics, contemporary, science fiction, or thriller? Um, I mean, I feel like, again, contemporary is like a broad genre and just, you know, encompassing the fact that it's like usually taking place now. But I think you could definitely have contemporary fantasy or sci-fi or romance or classics or thriller. But again, as y'all know, I typically like to stick to sort of what's just recently come out and anything older than five years, while it's probably still fantastic, is like, whoa, Rachel's reading something from like 1995. Um, So yeah, we're going to go with contemporary. <laughs> How do you organize your books? Alphabetically by author? Alphabetically by title, by book cover colors, in order by my favorites, in a weird order that only makes sense to me. I don't have a method of organization. I don't have a method of organization. I do have uh, Jason and I share like two or three bookshelves in our living room and they're just kind of haphazard with like what fits and there's definitely no rhyme or reason. I'm always cycling things in and out. I'm lending things to people. I'm, you know, unfortunately upcycling or recycling the book. I'm bringing new things in. My Kindle is also, there's no rhyme or reason. It's just the order of purchase um, or loan from the library. So we're definitely going to choose. I don't have a method of organization. Finally, how many books do you read in a year? I, I think y'all don't even need to know. The, this is a pretty easy quiz, but <laughs> one to five. 10 or more, 20 or more, 30 or more, 40 or more, 50 or more. How about 300 or more? But we'll do 50 or more. And our answer is, you're 31 and the character that fits your personality is Elizabeth Bennet from Pride and Prejudice. Um, now, before I read the sort of little blurb of that, um, I've never actually read any Jane Austen. Like, I know that's super controversial. I've read a ton of stuff, like, surrounding her works or analyzing her works. You know, like, The Hours. I mean, that's Virginia Woolf. Goddamn it. I'm sounding like an idiot. But I think, I, you know, again, like, I'm so stuck in this contemporary mindset. It's definitely, like, something I really want to try to get out of because I know, I mean, classics are classics for a reason. I know it's an iconic story that's been retold in a variety of ways, a variety of times. Um, so I'll get there. If you've read Pride and Pre Prejudice or Jane Austen books, uh, slam me in the comments and let me know why I should be reading them because uh, not that I need any. No, I need some persuasion and I believe that's one of her novels as well. Um, and that is detailed as you're headstrong, focused, and goal-oriented. 
While you're introverted and would rather stay home with a good book or TV show, you enjoy the occasional social function, you know, back when we could have those. You attract people who are just as witty as you and who can keep up with your busy life. If they can't, they're lost. I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty accurate and definitely more introverted. And even in the pre-pandemic times, really the idea of like going out and socializing with people besides Jason was just like, wow. And now the longer that we're like in isolation and quarantine, it feels like, will that ever happen again? Don't know. Sorry for all the water pauses. Gotta stay hydrated again. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that little quiz. Um, note to self, link that down below. So it will be linked down below. Take the quiz. Tell me your answer. Tell me how accurate it was. I mean, we're within five years of my age, and that character description was pretty accurate. So I'll, I'll give it to them. Give it to you, BuzzFeed. Okay. So we are going to talk about <laughs> this week's five books. Um, the first one is called The Push by Ashley Audrain. Um, this book was like really, really cool. So it was about um, a woman who has a child and it sort of starts in media res with the woman like looking at that child and it's told in this like weird second person um, narration, which we don't get too often in literary. Um, so Blythe is our new mother. Um, she has a baby named Violet. And immediately, by the time she gets pregnant, like, she can tell that something's really weird and, like, something's off about this child. And her husband, um, Fox, is just kind of trying to reassure her that, like, you're fine, you're, you're not crazy, it's it's all good. Um, and even when Violet is born, Blythe just has this, like, extreme distance and, like, extreme, like, weird sense that something is wrong with Violet. Um, so she's like, am I meant to be a mother? Like, you're kind of not sure exactly where the novel is going at that point. And then Blythe has another child named Sam. And then it's kind of implied at that point that something probably happens to him. So it's no big surprise when we find out at the end that he does unfortunately pass away. Um, but she has the complete opposite reaction with her son, Sam. She's super close with him. She nourishes him. And that's um, Violet as a younger, as an older daughter, um, notices that and it heightens some tensions. And so it kind of begs the question, the chicken or the egg. It's like, were Blythe and Violet never meant to be close? And so that automatically pushed her closer to Sam. Or uh, was there ever a chance? And if, you know, Blythe tried and Violet just wasn't reciprocated to it. Um, so it's really, you know, it makes you question, you know, the sort of how two children born to the same exact parents can live such different lives and have such different temperaments. Um, there is definitely some questions with Violet and her behavior. She's a, we only really get to see her through Blythe's eyes. So she's really fascinating as a character because you have to wonder like, is Blythe really crazy? And how much of this is in her mind? And how much of this is actually going on? And the sort of thing that other people are just like, willing to ignore and sort of, you know, oh, she's crazy, but she knows, you know, especially as a mother and as the one who carried this child for nine months, like, she knows her better than everybody else, so she would know uh, what's going on. Um, so it's really, it's dark. It's it's definitely deep. I definitely, if you have had a child recently or have any sort of, you know, trigger warning also this, you know, if you've dealt with miscarriage or if you've dealt with postpartum pregnancy or prepartum pregnancy or anything like that, this might be a little bit like too soon for you. But if you are nowhere near having children anytime soon or you've had them and they're gone or you just are dark and twisted and want to get into it, I mean, then, then definitely check it out. Um, the cover is really cool too. It's like this sort of foil um, face that also looks like a butterfly, like ink blot. So that will have been here the whole time I'm talking. Um, so check out The Push by Ashley, Ashley Audrain. 
Next, we have These Violent Delights by Micah Nemerever, which is a cool last name. Um, these, there's also another book, These Violent Delights, not which is not to be confused with this, um, which is a young adult novel that came, I think, in my December Owl Crate, um, which is on my to-be-read list, which will be coming out soon. But it's not... Um, it is kind of weird, the two books, even though they're very different. Like, that's a young adult fantasy. This is a contemporary um, thriller-ish novel, uh, character study. Um, it's weird that two books with the same name came out so soon to each other. But the, if you're not familiar, the name, These Violent Delights, is taken from a quote from Romeo and Juliet. Um, These Violent Delights have violent ends, which if, you, if you're familiar with the story of Romeo and Juliet, you know reigns true. Um, also was recently um, echoed quite a bit in Westworld. Um, fantastic season one, other seasons kind of questionable, but it's also the name of this book that I'm going to be talking about. Um, so These Violent Delights is kind of like a mishmash of like The Talented Mr. Ripley, um, A Little Life, The Secret History, all of those sort of like weird, um, school-esque romances when there's two young boys who fall into some sort of dangerous relationship. It's also very, um, heavily influenced by the Leopold and Loeb case, as well as the case um, with Pauline and Juliet Hume, um, the one that inspired Heavenly Creatures, the Peter Jackson movie, which is also really good. Um, so Paul and Julian are two young boys. This book is set in 1970s in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so it's very much a period piece. Um, it uses the 1970s and that sort of like post-Vietnam Nixon backdrop, as well as the intense like homophobia pre-AIDS. Um, all of that really plays in to this backdrop and to this background of what happens when people are, oops, there's a water bottle thing, capable of such intense friendships, but also the, the powers that come with that. You know, these boys are clearly infatuated with each other. There's, there's definitely like a weird um, power play. Paul is a, from a lower class family. Julian's from a wealthier family, but um, about a third of the way through the novel, Julian becomes ostracized from his family. Um, then the two boys get involved in a, you know, horrific act. Like I said, it's inspired by Leopold and Loeb and um, heavenly creatures, you know, those are floating around. So it's no surprise that they kill somebody. Um, but then how they deal with that differently and the ramifications of guilt and sort of, again, it's much more of a character study. It's in no way glorifying these boys, but it's showing how, excuse me, two young people... Um, especially in sort of a folie adieu, like a shared insanity can come together to make these horrible mistakes and have these horrible ramifications that impact other people. Um, so it moves forward quickly. It is a little bit longer. I think it's a little over 400 pages. Um, and it's just, it's really like, it starts out with that romance and that sort of gay, um, secret shared love that is reminiscent of a little life um and it has the, the same darkness but a little life is much more like empathetically dark and this is much more like violently intrinsically almost like psychologically pathologically dark um so these violent delights by micah nemerever nemerever oops i don't know anyways Next, we have The Lantern Man by John Bassoff. Um, the Lantern Man was like a really cool, pulpy horror read that I've had on my Kindle again for a couple of years and just spontaneously decided to read. Um, so it's almost like a House of Leaves type story where everything is somewhat linear, but it's presented. Um, and again, I was reading on a Kindle, so the formatting like might have been a little bit different, but it's a 
torn and like told in sort of like a multimedia way like there's multiple like diary entries and posters and like articles and this is a fictional novel but it's presented as a sort of case file um posthumously this detective is looking through the case of the lantern man um specifically a young girl named lizzie granier um and he takes her diary which form uh forms the basis of most of the story uh, long story short, there is this fictional sort of boogeyman character named the Lantern Man that has haunted <clears throat> Lizzie's life um, and sort of the town itself. There's been a string of missing girls for quite a while. Um, Lizzie has two siblings. One of the siblings tragically dies at the beginning of the novel. Um, and then that kind of spurns this psychological trauma amongst their family, especially with Lizzie's relationship with her remaining brother. Um, and then her brother, um, you know, starts a new relationship and... I won't give away too much what goes on from there, but that does not sit well with Lizzie. And then through that, there's um, another girl goes missing. Um, there's multiple sightings of the Lantern Man. Lizzie kind of has like a psychological breakdown. And then from there, the case sort of wraps itself up. But the fictional detective, Russ Buchanan, um, he is sort of a stand-in for the audience trying to make sense of this narrative and trying to figure out, you know, was the Lantern Man real? Was there really a serial killer wandering around? Was it, like, some crazy guy who lived in the woods? I don't know. Um, so if you're into definitely, like, more fun horror stuff, obviously there is murder. Um, there's sexual assault. There's really horrifying stuff that happens in this book. But again, it's told from sort of a fictional detective trying to piece together the story alongside the audience, almost like I haven't played it, but maybe kind of like what Hunt a Killer would be with much more of a character-driven focus. Um, but fans of, like, R.L. Stein, Stephen King, you know, classic horror, Jacques Gems, um, check, check out The Lantern Man, um, by John Bassoff. I know he's written quite a few other things. This was just one of his more recent ones. Um, this came out, oh, just this, less than a year ago, 2020 of last, 2020 of last year, March of last 2020. Um, so a little bit less than a year old. Um, and I'm excited to see what else he has. And it's not only is it under like 250 pages, so it's relatively short, um, but because of that multimedia nature, because we go between diary entries and photos and multiple perspectives and testimonies and blah, 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 it, it reads really quickly. Um, so check that one out. Next we have <clears throat> What Could Be Saved by Lisa O'Halloran Schwartz. Um, this is a multi or a dual timeline novel. Um, Part of it is set in Bangkok in the 1970s, and the other part of it is set in pretty much contemporary Washington, D.C. Um, so our main character, Laura, um, her family relocates to Bangkok in the 70s because her father gets some sort of, like, mysterious government job. Um, and we learn pretty early on that her brother goes missing. Um, and then we find out pretty early on in the alternating timeline of present day that her someone claiming at least to be her brother um, has reemerged. And so... What what do you do when you think that your brother of 30, I guess, no, f almost like 40 years, has been gone for almost 40 years, so you pretty much assume he's dead at this time, and this that was sort of the incident that really shaped their family. It doesn't help, you know, that it happened in a foreign country, and then they moved back to the U.S., um, and so it shaped their family and how their parents dealt with it quite differently. Um, and so, you know, there's the question of, is this her brother? Is this not her brother? Um that's sort of the contemporary storyline and then you know what makes a family <clears throat> and what makes you know secrets and lies surrounding things there's definitely sort of that's the underlying you know plot devices is this her brother like what happened to him which is explored um in the 70s plot line and then eventually revealed but more like how could this happen and like how do people deal with grief differently um 
how do you move on um, from the past while it still influences your future and your present. Um, the parents are definitely not as interesting. I mean, so the parents are named Robert and Genevieve, and they're much more um, detailed in the uh, the 1970s because for various reasons um, their states of mind have changed in the present day. Um, so I found them to be interesting, but I really cared more about, like, the children and their relationships, and I did find that, like, the present day stuff up until we really got to, like, what happened to the brother was just a little bit juicier um, than the past stuff. And oftentimes I find that the opposite. Like sometimes I really like the historical nod back in the sort of period piece immersion. And this one, it just, it was great. I mean, it really, it was, it was good. It just like, I preferred the present day and I preferred the siblings better, but that's my hot take. Um, but overall still a really great book. Definitely like a longer one, a little bit meatier. This one took me a couple of days just because it was so um, a lot going on and not so much just a quick, easy read, but um, still moves pretty quickly and still has like a lot to it. Um, you've come away with a really rich story. And lastly, we have Girl Unframed by Deb Coletti. I can't believe Deb Coletti is like still writing books. I mean, no shade. I love her. She is a, I, I don't want to pigeon her into being, you know, a young adult writer, but she writes primarily um, fiction for young readers. I read her books as early as in like fourth or fifth grade. There's ones like Honey Baby Sweetheart and like, there's one about like an eating disorder. Uh, Sarah, she's written so many. Um also, Sarah Dessen has, uh, they're very similar, but yeah, Deb Coletti was Honey Baby Sweetheart. What else did she write? I'm just now I'm curious. Um, but Girl Unframed is her most recent young adult one. Um, this one is kind of like a little bit more of a thriller type mystery. Um, she's always very good at um, really breaking down young women and their different um, struggles that are very relatable for someone who is that age or for someone who is about to be that age in the case of I was reading it when I was actually younger than that age or for someone who's you know been there done that it still feels very relatable and very um visceral and easy to put yourself in their shoes um what else oh yeah there was the nature of jade there was stay the story of us wild roses she, so she's written a few for adults too she's really a great author um so girl unframed is about a young girl named sydney um Sydney splits her time between um, her mom in San Francisco and her mom is like a, I guess she's still like an actress, you know, an actress who's sort of like a CB-list actress, like always still like striving for the next thing, like had a hit when she was younger. Um, and she lives in like Seattle, the other half, it doesn't matter. Um, but you get the sense as soon as she comes to San Francisco that there's something bad going to happen. There's something foreboding, um, which is also kind of made evident because every chapter starts out with just like, piece of evidence or something like implying that there's like going to be a trial and a case coming up um but it's not a courthouse novel it's not a crime or a who did what it's like you know what pushes women to have to make these decisions and especially as a young girl it's really um the way that she deals with dangerous men and falling in love as well and balancing her own wants and needs with like the expectations of society and other wants and needs um as Goodreads said, I feel like the last one I always kind of cheat and just read Goodreads, but gotta get ready for the next podcast. And the five people listening to this don't really care anyways. No, I'm sure they do. <laughs> um, it's unnerving how beauty is complicated and objects have history and you can be looked at without ever being seen. <sighs> um, bah, 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 bah. But yeah, and then some like crazy stuff happens. I won't get into it, but it's really, it's great when a book like has sort of that in you know, big thriller, murdery, spoiler, 
moment but that's really not like the crux of the book it's like it's just the device to show us how the characters like deal with those situations and how people get to this situation and don't let it define their entire lives if that makes any sense um so again all over the place but then it wouldn't be an episode of i like to read if it wasn't um so until next time stay reading everybody bye